Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Anderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic. Damien Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Sandy Edwards, and she has written two books. One is, uh, both one's on spiritual healing, and the other one is healing in the hospital. Uh, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for inviting me. In fact, I've only written one book, oh. and the first one was self-published because I couldn't take the information to a publisher. Um, it was all secret until the research papers involved were published. And so I self-published that, and now I've uh, been taken up by a um, proper publisher and... I'm amazed to say that it's being published in America tomorrow, seventh oh. of September. So That's it's incredible. quite uh, amazing that I'd be on your show today. Yeah. And the title of the title of the book was changed to make it the second edition of that first one, and the title now is um, "Spiritual Healing in uh, Hospitals and Clinics." Okay. There is a strap line as well that makes it longer, but anybody would find it under that. Spiritual healing in hospitals and clinics. Okay. And due to the new due to that contract, I can't sell the first edition anymore. That's part of the, the deal. So that one's not available anymore, though people may well find that on Amazon, but it'll say not in print. Hmm. So the one that's you can pre-order the one I've written. Uh, the second edition, you can pre-order it now, but deliveries start occurring tomorrow in America. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very thrilled. Um, so what, what what started all this? Like, What got you into the spiritual healing and then taking it more into a clinical type of research? Well, I was wanting to resolve psoriasis. So that was a skin condition around the scalp that's flaky, itchy, very embarrassing. It had been a, um, an unpaid tenant on my head since teens, an unwanted visitor, permanent uh, resident, it seemed. And there isn't any cure for it medically. And the only offering for helping the symptom is steroid cream. And I wasn't prepared to use that. It's only a temporary measure and steroids aren't good for anybody and no good at all in your hair. So I looked at the complementary methods and ran across healing. So I did have healing for it for myself. Um, and I have to say that I didn't really notice any improvement to the psoriasis, but it made a huge difference to an inner fear that I didn't even realize I had 
at the time I went for healing, that wasn't anything I'd mentioned to the healer I went to see. But after five or six weekly sessions, I noticed that that fear had disappeared, that I had a fear always of being in the house on my own at night. And it was ridiculous because the age I was, those number of years, times 365 days in a year, nothing had ever happened. Why would I still be afraid? And it was bonkers. It was uh, madness. But that fear had now disappeared. So that was so freeing. My husband would still go away on business, but I was no longer staying awake the whole time he was away for fear of what might occur in the middle of the night. And mm. although I wouldn't wish my husband to be away, it was a freeing experience now. I could do what I wanted whenever I wanted, if I wanted. Of course, there were limitations because I was still uh, at work and uh, children at home. And so that freedom was wonderful, but the psoriasis hadn't resolved itself. So I then had hypnosis and that again didn't work for the psoriasis, but it did work for giving up smoking. And that was amazing because that addiction I'd had since young teens. And so that was another major thing that was now free. I was free of it forever. I knew it. I've not wanted a puff of a cigarette ever since that one hypnosis session. And the difference I realized between getting rid of the smoking addiction and not getting rid of the psoriasis was the amount of passion that I had that I must get rid of that smoking habit because I'd learned from my older sister who was in uh, teaching to as a headmistress of a school that children of smoking parents are more likely to become smokers themselves than the other way about. So I just wouldn't have been able to live with myself if those boys, our boys, had uh, taken up smoking through seeing my example. So it had to go and it had to be pulled out by the roots. I had already given up smoking uh, three times for uh, two years at a time, one and a half years, six months, two weeks, one week, one day, always gone back to it. But now out of my system completely. So that hypnosis person, I asked him, what else could I do? And he was aware of um, a particular healer who had a different method and when I saw her, she said I needed to become a healer myself so that I would, uh, through doing healing, it would use up the spiritual energy that was built up inside me and it would be used in a positive way. It would be, um, I suppose, traveling out from me instead of working inwardly in a negative way, creating this psoriasis. So she told me about the best healing organization to train with, and uh, that was um, the Healing Trust, which is a UK-based national charity. It trains to professional standards, minimum two-year training period, um, national uh, curriculum, national standard of trainers, uh, code of conduct, disciplinary procedures, all the things that... Um, you'd expect would be required in 
if you're treating anybody in a medical environment. But that was a way to go until that would occur. So I trained with the Healing Trust. In those days, it was called the National Federation of Spiritual Healers. Too big a name and <laughs> confusing. Even members got mixed up which letter comes first, NFSH, NSF, well, they would get mixed up. So the Healing Trust is a much more simple name for people to remember, and it tells you straight off what we're about. So I uh, trained with the Healing Trust, and on my way home from qualifying, the thought occurred to me to apply for a grant from the National Lottery to set up a voluntary healing group. I've always been a volunteer healer, and we're now 22, three years later. But back at that time, I thought I would apply for a lottery grant, and um, I was successful. So I set up a voluntary healing group, gathered different healer, volunteer healers to work with me. And five years after that, there was a lady who came for healing and I could see from her card that she'd been to us a couple of times already, but now she was uh, teamed up with me for the first time. And I noticed on her card that nobody had written in how she found out about us. And I always like to have that information because if we were to look at advertising in any way, I'd want to go to the stream that would help us find people more effectively. Well, she told me that her consultant at the hospital had sent her, and that was a revelation. So I found out who that was. Apparently, he had already sent a few people, and he was pleased with the result. So I found out who he was and sent him a letter offering to deliver healing to his patients at the hospital free of charge. And I listed all of those professional standards I mentioned. And I also referred to two uh, healers already working in the National Health Service, one at a London hospital and one at a, uh, another hospital in the north, paid, paid healers, proper salary. So it showed him that it wasn't completely new, but it is quite rare, to be honest, to find a healer in a medical uh, situation here. And I also uh, explained that we don't prescribe, we don't diagnose, we don't use any pills, potions, lotions, we don't manipulate. There's nothing that can harm a person through having spiritual healing. And so he agreed. He invited me to the hospital. We met, all went well. We talked about how healing could be delivered to his patients on the ward and also his outpatients, the people who come from their homes and have a consultation with him and then go home. So I don't know if you have the same term, outpatients, for yeah, those people. All right, okay, didn't need to explain that one then. So the um, uh, hospital took a year and a half to give permission for me to go and do this, perhaps because it was so new and different, I don't know. But once I got the permission, I now was able to work with, uh, well, on the ward and with his outpatients who came to his uh, clinic on a Wednesday morning. So I would be there every Wednesday morning and his consultation room was right next door to the room that I was using. 
he would then speak to his uh, patient, give them their normal consultation, and he would decide which people might like to have a healing session, and he would offer that. In almost all people would say yes, and they would come into my office and uh, consultation room. And um, I would uh, only use two different sentences really as an icebreaker. It's only five paces between his room and mine. My first question would be, have you ever had spiritual healing before? Everybody said no. And then I would say, have you ever had a complimentary therapy session of any sort before? And almost nobody had, almost nobody had. In all of the time that I was working at the hospital, seven years, and I saw hundreds of people, there were fewer than 10 that had ever had a spiritual healing session ever before. Far fewer than 10, I would say, actually. And so this was a whole new adventure for them. And they were highly sceptical people. These people are not the same kind of people who would come to a voluntary healing group. People who come to a voluntary healing group have a hope of improving. They're optimistic. They're prepared to come out of their way to get to the group. They're prepared to make a donation. And they anticipate a positive outcome of some sort. But these people at the hospital were highly sceptical. They hadn't gone out of their way for healing. In fact, it had probably been jumped on them. They Most had never heard of it before. So... They would come into my office not expecting, I say office, it's a consultation room. So there's nothing in there to put them at their ease. There's the normal examination couch, the normal accoutrements to medical investigations. Even the view from the window is of the local burial ground. So there's nothing to put them at ease. And I had no pot in palms. I didn't take music with me. And... So then they would uh, normally lie on the couch, but people can lie on the couch or sit in a chair. It's up to them. They don't need to take their coat off or their shoes. And so I just explained to them what they might feel. We are advised we have to uh, tell people that they might feel uh, tingling, heat, cold, muscle jumps, sea colours, or nothing at all. And so that was all they needed to know. Um, actually, when I first started there, I thought they did need to know a lot more, but it was a waste of breath, really. So in the end, I just told them the kind of side effects. Side effects sounds sinister. Those sensations is what they might feel. Or they might feel nothing at all. So then they would uh, lie on the couch, and the way we're trained is not to touch anyone. Just on the shoulders, a light touch, and on the feet, a light touch. But we can, if we wish, and if we've asked the person if it's okay, and they invariably agree, is uh, that we touch on the joints. So on the shoulders, the elbows, the wrists, the ends of the fingers, and the same down the legs. And um, that's the most touch that would normally ever occur with a healing session. But I knew this was on a gastroenterology department. So I knew without asking anybody what's the matter, um, that they would have problem with their tummy. So I would uh, very often say to them, is it okay if I put my hands on your tummy as well? And they would agree. And the number of people who said afterwards that the touch on the tummy was so comforting and restful. And 
those people that I saw at the hospital said so many wonderful things about their experience in just 20 minutes it takes for a session, in just that 20 minutes, that the difference in them was amazing um, for them especially. But Dr. Singh, that's the name of the person, but he's a top consultant in this hospital. Um, he would initially see those patients after the healing session as well to see how they fared. And the difference in some of them was so dramatic that it convinced him beyond any doubt that something special was occurring. And he would gather other consultants around sometimes to hear what these people were saying. And on one occasion, he uh, beckoned me over as well. And this lady had said, that was fantastic. And these consultants, Dr. Singh said to them, how many people come out of our consultations and say, that was fantastic. <laughs> so I was um, aware that all of these positive statements were disappearing into the ether. So within a few weeks, I asked Dr. Singh if I could create an audit so it would capture all of these responses. And he agreed. So I wrote a questionnaire of the things that I think matter to people, things like pain relief, stress relief, relationships, how you're getting on with people and how well you're sleeping, those kind of things. So I sent, I walked in with the questionnaire I'd put together and he wanted to add to the questions, uh, what would, what score would you give for your well-being? Well, well-being to me sounded a bit wishy-washy. It's not as hard and fast as uh, pain. You know, you need to explain this word well-being, I think. So I looked it up in a dictionary and made sure I was explaining to people what this meant when I was asking for a score when I came to do the questionnaires. But the questionnaire, once we'd um, established the questions, now had to be allowed by the ethics committee of the hospital. So they agreed that these questions were okay. And so set off with these uh, questions with the people I now saw. And the graphs that they made, because I, I got the uh, answers put into numbers and then those numbers put into graphs. And the difference to those people was astonishing seen in graphs. And those are in my book. And I also gave a questionnaire with them to take home that they would complete a week later. And the difference that they'd gained very often was still in place a week later, or at least a great more than they'd started with. They might have reduced a bit, but that was fantastic to have this 20 minute healing session proven to now have been beneficial even a week later with nothing else. Those people that came to uh, the hospital and had a healing session, I would also give them a leaflet for our voluntary group, which wasn't far away, but hardly anybody ever did go to the voluntary healing group. They only wanted to have healing at the hospital. They felt so safe there. Dr. Singh found this out through asking people who came for subsequent um, checkups months and maybe even years later. 
And then that was then I started in the August. I started uh, at the hospital in the September, sorry, I think it was the September and in the November of that same year. So this is only two months after I'd started there. The National Lottery announced that they were offering research money for projects that would help people and also that those people wanted because very often you can have research, academic research, that is only for the academic interest. It's not for the actual physical benefit of people. And so my questionnaire, as it happened, ticked both of those boxes. It showed without a doubt that people were benefiting. And because on my questionnaire, uh, the one week later questionnaire, I'd asked if you were uh, offered a series of um, healing sessions at the hospital, would you be willing to have them? And invariably they said yes. So that ticked both of the boxes for this um, lottery grant money to be uh, to be available to us. So, and that was interesting as well, that I only heard about that lottery money from one other person. And that was another member of the Healing Trust who had heard about my work in the hospital because it was so rare, it was in the members magazine. And so she had heard of me and now she sent me an email alerting me to this national lottery money. So I never was told about it by anybody else subsequently. I never heard of that woman before, nor afterwards, we never met, never have done now. So I took that information about the lottery money into Dr. Singh and he, was on board by now fully and completely. He knew that healing was really helping his patients. His patients, by the way, are people who haven't been helped by, uh, there is no medical cure for the conditions that they have very often. He sees all kinds of gastro uh, patients there, but very many of them can't be helped very easily by medical means. So he's always on the lookout for additional ways to help them that are safe and effective. And he'd heard about spiritual healing from another medical uh, organisation in Birmingham, Birmingham, UK, obviously. And um, he uh, therefore was interested. That was where he picked up a leaflet about our voluntary healing group, even though it was many miles away from where we were. So... Back to my story then, he agreed that we should apply for this lottery money and by chance he was a senior lecturer at the medical school of the University of Birmingham and that university is part of the Russell Group which is the British equivalent of the Ivy League in the States. So it's the cream of universities in the UK and he spoke to he knew individuals, research individuals who would be especially uh, experienced and knowledgeable to bring um, just the right information needed to make this research trial work. And they agreed to be involved. And then to apply for the lottery grant, it had to be a charity that did that. And by chance, 
He was also a trustee of a medical charity in Birmingham that provided medical provision alongside complementary therapies, one of them being spiritual healing by members of the same organisation I belong to, but it was many miles away from this hospital. So all of the partners were in place now and the lottery said that they were never ever going to be offering research for this, well, research for anything ever again. This was completely unusual for them. And the timing is magical, isn't it? It's crazy. If I'd have written a novel <laughs> with the same kind of story in it, it would be just too far-fetched. So there was huge competition for this research money, and it was so complicated to apply for that they ran workshops. So I went to two of their workshops and um, learnt everything I could, and I channeled that information back to Dr Singh, who channeled it through to the researchers to make sure that the uh, to the medical charity to make sure that they didn't leave a stone unturned when creating the application. And there was uh, so much so much competition for this research money, but in the end, we did get a grant. We got a grant for £205,000. That would be about $300,000, wouldn't it? Something like that. And so we now had this money and the programme was put together. Oh, have I answered the first question yet? <laughs> that was how it came about. Keep going. That was how it came about. Shall I keep going? Yes, then? keep going. How the research pro yes. programme was run. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the programme itself then recruited 100 people who had irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. 10% of the population suffers with that. And then 100 people who had inflammatory bowel disease, 0.1% of the population suffers with that. And the original plan was to have only people with ulcerative colitis, in the IBD group, that's the inflammatory bowel group. But because there are so few people with that condition, it was expanded to also incorporating people with Crohn's disease. And both of those are very miserable conditions mm -hmm. to have. All three, IBS and IBD, are miserable to have. It affects both, all, well now we've got uh, IBD split into two groups. Very few people thankfully, get Crohn's. And Crohn's is the worst of all because that affects the whole of the digestive tract all the way through with lesions and ulcers and awful things that um, are so horrible for anybody to have. And um, inflammatory, the ulcerative colitis people is the similar story, but only from the stomach down. So I say only, it's still awful. And the difference between IBS and IBD is that IBS is a syndrome and IBD, those are diseases. And the difference is that when they do investigations as to what is causing the symptoms, every test that you can do with IBS shows perfect results. Nothing the matter. Nothing physical is the matter. So that's why 
some people think that IBS is a psychological problem, but the symptoms are very real. And with IBD, they do have physical issues that are causing the horrendous symptoms. So the idea was a syndrome and a disease being looked at to see if it makes a difference to have healing, whether it would help one group more than the other. So that was why IBS was one group and IBD was another. So then what happened was that each of the groups, so the IBS group was split in half, 50% of the people in one group, 50% in another. And the one group, the intervention half, would start having healing sessions straight away. And they were to have five healing sessions, one each week. And then um, questionnaires at week zero, so before they started having healing, then at week six, just after they finished having their five sessions, then at week seven, no, week uh, 12 rather, so that's seven weeks after their last healing session, and then at week 24 to see if the benefits gained or if there were any benefits had lasted. So the first group, the intervention group, the first half would have their sessions straight away. And the other half of each group would have to wait for three months before they could start their healing sessions. So their week seven, no, their week 12, sorry, their week 12 questionnaire, if they're on the waiting list group, that's 12 weeks after they started with their week zero questionnaire, they would start having their healing sessions after their week 12 questionnaire. So you could see how what they were uh, like before they started having the healing sessions. We'd already found out at week zero, but just to see if they'd changed at all between week zero and week 12. And then the week 24 was only for the intervention group to be able to see how they'd fared. This is a bit more complicated that, than is easy to explain <laughs> just by talking. But in the book, it's very clear on the grid. You can see how that works. So the first people had their healing sessions and the results that uh, we saw, uh, the results weren't actually given to us on the steering group. I was on the steering group for this whole program, but I was also a healer on the program. And uh, there were three main healers. I did the healing on a Wednesday morning, um, another healer the Wednesday afternoon, and another healer did the Wednesday evenings. So it sh And there were backup healers. If we couldn't make a particular time, there were backup healers who then came and covered our shift. So it shows that it's not just one healer who might be considered as some special person. This is showing the results from three at least three main healers and some others. So, but we were all, I wanted it to be all from the Healing Trust. Uh, I wanted that people to have five healing sessions. I wanted six really, but they thought if we only ask for five, then there's a better chance of gaining a lower amount that we're asking of money to fund it. So 
what else was it I asked? I, I wanted, I can't remember what else, but anyway, the researchers came up with three different questionnaires. These are the specialist researchers at the University of Birmingham to be able to measure the results at week zero, week six, week 12 and week 24, the three questionnaires that each person was to complete. The first one was for quality of life generally. So it's a validated questionnaire used in lots of research. It's well trusted. And so that questionnaire showed whether they'd improved their lives. The, that this, um, the series of questionnaires, that the series of healing sessions had improved their lives in any way. And those included some questions about uh, pain and um, and uh, stress and probably talked about sleep and relationships, but it wasn't focused on their particular um, diagnosis. So it was general because somebody could have a worse problem than IBS or IBD that we didn't know about. And the idea was to know whether healing improved somebody's lives. So that was the main thrust of it. And the uh, second questionnaire was again, quality of life, but for their own uh, problem. So there was an IBS quality of life questionnaire, an ulcerative colitis quality of life questionnaire, and a Crohn's quality of life. And then the third questionnaire was only about the, the uh, symptoms for that particular. Uh, so it wasn't about quality of life. It was about the symptoms that stopped them enjoying the fullness of a normal life. And these people, all of them, the symptoms that they have are life-changing because it's... Uh, the digestive system that's just completely off kilter, they can't leave the house without knowing where the next bathroom is. And some people can't even leave the house for fear of not reaching a bathroom. And if the symptoms affect their work life, their social life, their love life, every single aspect of their life, it is horrendous. And so quality of life was the main thing of... Uh, what we wanted to know. And so the MIMOC questionnaire, this one, the graphs in my book show that um, a one point decrease in the score, whatever the score starts off at, a one point decrease denotes a clinical significant, um, clinically significant improvement to their life. And what we could see across the board for IBS and IBD was that everybody gained a one point improvement after the six weeks. So on the, the questionnaire at six weeks. And week 12 questionnaire was to find out if any of those benefits had been re retained for an extra seven weeks after their healing sessions. And what we discovered was that they gained an extra full point. So this is amazing that they continued to improve seven weeks after their last healing session. And then the week 24 figures showed that they did lose 
that extra one point over the following, what would it be, three months? But what if they'd had more healing sessions? What if they'd had monthly healing sessions? We don't know. That would be the next kind of research to do, I think. But going back to the questionnaires then, that was a magnificent result for those people. And um, no side effects, of course, with uh, spiritual healing. They had they had no side effects um, that you might expect to have with medical intervention. And the, uh, the next questionnaire was um, the quality of life linked to their own particular um, diagnosis. So those, again, showed incredible benefit. And then there's the actual uh, symptoms for their particular uh, problem, their particular diagnosis. The, the symptoms for the IBS people, those were extremely good. But the ones for the ulcerative colitis and Crohn's weren't as good. They weren't as good. But the Crohn's one, the Crohn's, because there were only 22 people in the Crohn's um, a group of people, that was too small a sample size for the researchers to even write about. They didn't even mention it in the write-up on the research papers. But when you look at the scores, and I, I went and discovered what kind of score improvement means something on these questionnaires, because they don't relate to that in the uh, research papers. So I've gone out and found those things out and they're described in my book so you know what the score improvements actually mean to a person and to get a score of 4.4 point, uh, I think it was on um, the Crohn's I'd have to look it up actually but um, whatever the score was they had to if someone scores that particular score and I think it was four uh, that would mean if they got four or less, they were in remission. So they now were deemed as not having the problem, but they could have a, re a recurrence of it later on. But now they don't have it. And both groups, the, the ones that had the healing from the beginning of the Crohn's group, they smashed that goal. They went well below that uh, score for remission. And so did the waiting list group for Crohn's. So even though that's a small group, that is the fantastic result. Even though it's too small to be counted as research, in research terms, research people won't look at it. There are too few people with Crohn's to do a large trial. So wouldn't it make sense to give Crohn's people healing sessions because on the basis of this and see what their results are and add up all of the results from wherever the Crohn's people are to show that this is making a difference to their lives. Massive difference to their lives. That's remission. And uh, the people who had colitis, some of their figures went into the uh, close to, they didn't smash the, the goal, but they did get closer to the remission score in their uh, symptoms questionnaire. So that was exciting. And uh, throughout, 
across the programme, the people who are the groups that started on the healing sessions straight away, their results were mirrored entirely by the groups that waited for three months. And after those people who had their sessions three months later, they were almost identical to the group that started straight away. And that reconfirms that spiritual healing made that difference. And then the three questionnaires, the results across those three questionnaires, even though they were asking different questions, the researchers confirmed that it they married up with each other, they tallied. So that's a triple confirmation. And the way that they measure improvements to people is measured in score improvements, that's an obvious one. Clinical significance, that's measured a different way. Statistical significance, that's measured a different way. And effect sizes, again, measured a different way. But they all married. So that's just amazing confirmation that healing helps people so dramatically. And if we'd had, if that had been a pharmaceutical getting those results, it would be snapped up straight away and it would be delivered straight out there without question. But this is spiritual healing. That's incredible. Isn't it? Yes. Those results are are amazing. With the spiritual healing, like I know there's different modalities of healing. There's things like Reiki. um, There's sort of just like a laying of hands type of healing. And... And some other ones that I'm sure I'm not even aware of, like shamanic types of healing. And and what kind do you use? Well, it's spiritual healing that's been around for many years, very many years, through um, every country probably, but it's been standardized in the way it's delivered by the Healing Trust because you have to, for insurance purposes, say, this is what we do. So... It's um, the same, really, as Reiki and therapeutic touch. And um, Joe Ray, I've just only just heard of something called Joe Ray, which is a Japanese method. Uh, I think Japanese. But Japanese, the word Reiki, mm-hmm. means spiritual healing, really. Yeah. So it's only the method of delivery. And I've, lear- I've learned Reiki 1 and 2 to see what the difference is. And to my mind, it's just made it... A little bit more complicated and i think why not have it simple if it works and it's simple and therapeutic touch suggests that you need to touch somebody but not everybody can be touched or wants to be touched so again the method used by the healing trust is more universal in that way and i did read something about therapeutic touch which suggested that um, some kind of psychic ability was also being um, used in that. Mm-hmm. And we don't. It's uh, We're trained not to bring in anything psychic or mediumship or anything like that. Our remit is only to deliver the healing. So, And I did have somebody say that they didn't want to have healing from me because I might find out things about them. And that isn't what we do 
we don't do it. It's like going, I couldn't do it anyway. I'm not interested in being psychic or being a medium. I'm sure it's very valuable used in the right way to help people. But that isn't what I'm interested in. I'm only interested in delivering healing in the most efficient, most effective and safest way for both concerned. And that is uh, all I want to do. I want an end result and that's it. But we don't actually ask anybody what's the matter with them. We're not supposed to. I think some healers do. But for insurance purposes, we only need to know their contact details and make a note of when they had healing. So um, as regards at the hospital, I didn't need to even take their name or contact details. That's already sorted by the hospital. And I knew I was in gastro department. So, mm -hmm. but that, as I mentioned before, isn't sometimes the worst issue. So, one lady that I gave healing on, she came for a subsequent appointment with Dr. Singh many months later. And she was asked by Dr. Singh if she'd like a healing session again. And she agreed. And she told me, that after having, she was a very well-dressed lady, very well-spoken, um, I, I would have guessed 40 or 50. And she said that after the healing session I gave her before, I didn't remember this lady because I saw hundreds of people at the hospital. She said that she then, after that session, had the confidence, all of a sudden, to go and learn to read and write is a massive life changer, isn't it? I was so touched that healing can make such a difference. And this is where I think healing is working, dissolving the fears that are deeply within. As in my case, I wasn't even aware of the fear of being in the house on my own at night. It didn't occur to me to mention it to the healer. The healer didn't know about it, but that is what magically unraveled itself. And it takes such a lot of energy to be fearful that that new re newly released negative pattern can then enhance life in all of its other wonderful features. That I, I found that I was laughing more, taking things into my stride more. And it was through that experience of needing five or six healing sessions myself to notice the difference. That's why when I became a trustee, of the national charity for five years, I think it was. I uh, introduced it as being something to recommend and have it in our paperwork so that people don't think, oh, one session and nothing happened and they give it up. It's a, some people can think, why didn't it work in one session? That's rubbish. But they could have had that problem all those years and have had all of that medication and treatment. And then they think, one session might deal with the whole problem. It's not as likely, but it does happen sometimes and did happen for some of Dr. Singh's patients that he was witnessing himself. And one was uh, a young lad who, um, oh, I didn't answer the question. All of those different modalities, to my mind, are all the same thing. The thing that matters to me is the passion within the uh, healer and the, the um, necessity to have attuned properly and therefore not be giving your own energy away. 
if you feel drained after giving a healing session or if you picked up some of their symptoms, you're not doing it right. It should always be a win-win situation. It's a joy to give the healing and the healer and the healee feel wonderful afterwards. That's how it should be. But I'll go back to that young lad that I mentioned. Dr. Singh didn't normally see young people, but the paediatrician for this young man, he was about 11, I think, and uh, the paediatrician couldn't find a solution for this gastro problem. And this poor boy was in such pain with his stomach. It was as though it was on fire and the fire was coming up through the tube to his throat as well at times. And he was so poorly with it, he couldn't go to school. And he loved, he did love school, very intelligent boy. And he loved their sport and he couldn't do that. And he loves McDonald's and he couldn't have that. So he was um, lying in bed most of the time. And he came to see Dr. Singh at the bequest of his um, paediatrician because Dr. Singh had such a good reputation. The paediatrician thought he might be able to do something about this, mm -hmm. but he didn't have any extra um, medical options for him. So he suggested to the boy that he have a healing session with me. And the boy came with me to my room next door and within, I think we might have been there half an hour on this occasion. And um, he was all smiles and pain free. And so I led him back to reception, back to his mother. And his mother saw this smiling boy with a skip in his step. And her face went white, literally went white. And her jaw dropped, literally. And she whisked him away straight off because he got a blood test to go to. So she whisked him off to that. And uh, I didn't expect to hear or see him again, hear of or see him again. But when I got home that evening, there were a number of messages on the answer phone. And now the phone was ringing again. And it was him, the only person ever to have found out my number, phoned me up and say, thank you. <laughs> and so he was so excited that he'd had no pain, no nothing, all day. And he'd, um, I'd given him a technique how to resolve any pain. And he'd used it twice in that day. Because he went to have a blood test, he was afraid of needles and he was afraid of the pain that the needle would give. And they were running short of time and the nurse couldn't find the vein, couldn't get the blood, had to be done more than once. And he used the technique that I'd mentioned and he wasn't afraid and he didn't feel the needle. And then because he was he was so ecstatic, he said to his mum he'd like to celebrate by going to McDonald's. And on the way to McDonald's, he started getting a headache. So he used the technique again and it disappeared. So again, he felt in he felt in charge of himself. He'd got this power. He was so excited. And uh, Dr. Singh was so amazed by what he'd seen that he went to the boy's house and interviewed him and recorded the interview. And he now plays that to groups of um, medical people and also at the university to medical students. 
And it's just wonderful to hear this boy on the tape recording. Dr. Singh invited me to the first, uh, it's called a grand round, when one person delivers to the, the assembled medical people, might be surgeons or consultants or trainee doctors or whoever, to listen to this new thing that they've discovered to share. And he played this recording to all of us. And it was, he's a very articulate young lad, despite his age. And it was very powerful how he delivered this, uh, what he had to say. And one of the things that he said was that he felt when he came from Dr. Singh's room to mine, he, he thought, this is complete rubbish. All I need is more medication. What are they on about? And, and then he felt afraid. Oh, no, what's going to happen to me? And then he thought, well, never mind. Nothing can be worse than I've had already all this time. So he kind of surrendered himself to it. And that surrender, I think, is key for the patient. And I think I have a knack for putting people at their ease to be able to reach that point. That's what healers are to do. That's what we should be doing. That's our remit. So Dr. Singh then was uh, playing this um, tape to people. And that boy has never had a symptom of that ever again. And I know that that was true even seven years, I think it was later. And he must, you know, be completely free of it. I mean, how many years do you have to say you've had no symptoms to be able to say categorically of being cured of that? But we can't use the word cure. We're not allowed to use the word cure because it upsets it upsets people in the scientific and medical circles. So what I will say is he never had a symptom again. And another patient of Dr. Singh's was a woman who had one healing session. And um, after that, she had all these tests that came back clear. She no longer had any of the uh, stomach and colon issues that was medically proved, no longer there. And she came for a checkup with Dr. Singh and she told me that she'd been addicted to coffee, strong coffee and plenty of it for 30 years. And after that healing session, all gone. So it's amazing what can happen in just one session. But for people, including me, a sequence of sessions is perfect. That five or six sessions on the trot, I say to people, treat it like you would um, a, a, a thing of um, antibiotics. You finish the, you finish the uh, whatever it's called. <laughs> You're given a sequence of them, aren't you? I keep mm. saying sequence, but it's not sequence when it's tablets. So that's, uh, that's how I think you should treat it. And if you do see benefits after six weeks, carry on. Just keep having weekly healing sessions until you don't think you could be more and more, you could be any more joyful or any more symptom free. Just keep having the healing sessions. And uh, you could go down to say once a month and see what that's like or once a quarter. Just do whatever you think. It's no side effects. Why not carry on? Yeah. And because there are voluntary healing groups, it doesn't have to be expensive. In uh, in Britain, there's uh, we, the Healing Trust has a number of uh, voluntary healing groups 
all around Britain. So you just put a donation. And we do suggest and welcome, say, £6 was at the uh, voluntary group I was involved in. But some people never did put any money in and other people were very generous. And I was very active in gaining more and more grants to be able to pay for another couch or pay for marketing materials or for whatever else we might need. So we did very well. I'm not involved there anymore because I've moved away from that area. And uh, I must say, writing the book overtook my life. <laughs> what a lot of work, huge amount of work. And I've, I've referenced um, about, well, minimum 200 other research trials, uh, some of them using Reiki, most of them using Reiki or spiritual healing and some therapeutic touch. Just, uh, I think, one of uh, Joe Ray. I didn't hear of it until later. And um, that just, those go together. Those all provide a massive body of evidence that healing works. And there was um, another piece of research I've mentioned is what's called, uh, it's a, a, a group study. So you take all of the different healing trials that you can think of and, or that you can find and then do a research of those results to see if there are any uh, themes that show that they all are true. But, and so one of those ways of doing uh, research was uh, conducted and that was very positive as well, showed a very positive result. And that's in my book also. So out of all of those research trials, a number of them are on animals and plants and uh, cells and human cells in vitro. And all of those show positive results. And those show that the results that you find with healing can't all be placebo because none of those groups could have placebo. They can't have an opinion about whether healing would work or not. The word placebo means it'll please the patient, nothing more. So you can have a placebo of uh, pills because you can give a sugar pill and those can have a very positive effect. And there's loads of research in my book about placebo to show that this is a really powerful positive element of any treatment. It's a powerful ally even for medics. Medics ought to learn how to harness the placebo effect when they're delivering. But why should they bother to learn? They can have a healer instead. Why should they spend 20 minutes or whatever technique that they can dream of to just only get the placebo triggered in a person? So it makes sense to have healing working alongside the conventional um, methods of uh, healthcare in hospitals and clinics is ideal. And the research trial was run in such a way as everybody on the research trial, all 200 patients continued with whatever their normal treatment was, their conventional treatment was, could be surgery or medication or changed medication from one thing to another. And healing was just delivered alongside what they were ordinarily having anyway. 
And this shows that those hugely beneficial effects that we've found can the healing sessions can be delivered in any hospital, in any hospital department, in any doctor's surgery. We call it a surgery here. It's called a doctor's office in the States. A bit confusing because surgery sounds like you're going to be cut open. And so the uh, so healing can be delivered to anybody in any of those environments for beneficial effect. Why not? So that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see this um, making possible, these, this research. But getting this research out into the public domain, in, into uh, the decision makers who decide what kind of care will be given in a hospital or a clinic, getting it to them is a stumbling block as well. That's a challenge, I should say, not a stumbling block, a challenge that I've yet to overcome. And But I have had the uh, pleasure of honour of delivering these research results in the Houses of Parliament in London. And I did hope that that would be a stepping stone towards getting it into hospitals and clinics. But that was almost on the top of Brexit, which was then almost on the top of COVID. So I think they've been a bit busy with other things. <laughs> but now maybe is the opportunity to refresh that uh, champ, the effort, refresh that effort. And um, with the book coming out in a, in a proper, with a proper publishing company, and this is the biggest publishing company in the world in this genre, I believe. So it's called Findhorn is uh, in the UK and uh, Inner Traditions and Bear and Co in mm -hmm. the US. So I'm thrilled to have been taken up by them. And that's another miracle because most publishing firms will not take on a book that you've already self-published. So that's another miracle. The number of miracles involved in this is crazy, really. There's far more than I'm even telling you and far more that's even in the book. But the book is... Uh, the book gives you so much information and so many signpostings to other avenues of investigation. I've mentioned a number of people who've been at death's door physically or in the deepest pit of mental anguish or emotional issues, and they've come back from the brink somehow with their own method, and now they teach their methods of how to overcome those problems. And it shows their um, success shows, demonstrates that people can get over the worst of anything that we can suffer. If one person can over overcome something, anybody can. It's just that we have to learn what their technique was or what their mental attitude was. And the most... Uh, the most documented case is of Anita Morjani. And the details of all of these people are in my book. But her case was so severe, she had the last rites in the hospital or at her home. I'm not sure where she was passing, but she was definitely passing into the next realm. And she had a spiritual experience that brought her back 
into full health. And those cancers in her body that were size of lemons, they, dis they just disintegrated within a week or two. And she has perfect health now. And it's her mission to tell everybody else. Now, we, if one person can recover to that degree from death, and she was dead at one point, back to perfect health. And uh, another person in my book was actually clinically dead, known to be dead for a while and came back to life and uh, recovered fully. Took him a much longer time, but he fully recovered and uh, teaches his methods now. But if one person can recover from something so physically impossible, we think, no miracle can occur outside of the laws of physics. We just don't know all the laws of physics. That's all there is to it. We just don't know. And NASA's website tells us that. NASA's own website, which I refer to in my book also, they tell us that we only know less than 5% of all there is. With even the most sophisticated equipment, technological equipment, we can only see or touch or register 5% of all there is. The other 95% is made up of dark matter and dark energy, different percents of each, which I can't think of on top of my head. But the only reason that they know that those energies exist is because they exert a pressure or a force on the things that we can see with those sophisticated pieces of equipment. And so that's all we're saying as healers. There's an unseen energy that is exerting a force on the things that we can see, this physical body, these emotions, this mindset. What's different? So have a look at NASA's website and see <laughs> for yourself. But I've put all of the references in my book to all of these exciting, wonderful things that underpin the reality of healing. Wow, that's incredible. It's amazing. It is. It's all incredible. I am so thrilled that I ever discovered healing. And all of those, and, and people who um, belong to religions, sometimes I've had, I have actually personally done healing alongside a priest at an altar in a, in a very um, Catholic-like church. So that was a wonderful experience. But normally churches don't want to have spiritual healing involved in their church, it seems to me. They are opening up more and more now, but it has to be their way of doing things and it has to be um, through Jesus. And uh, I've got no problem with Jesus, but it isn't a must-have. And I know I'm quite sure Jesus would agree. If someone's willing to have healing without hearing the name Jesus, then they can. And I've proved it a million times anyway with the healing that I've done because part of our remit in the Healing Trust is not to mention what we believe in unless somebody asks us and then we can say. But I don't think it, it isn't necessary to ram dogma or doctrine or anything else down someone else's throat if they ask i'm willing to say i wouldn't hide anything but it isn't necessary the universal energy is the universal energy and uh, the way 
I've written it in my book, is that the greatest, most well-known healer of all time has to be Jesus. And he taught, seven, according to the scripture, he taught 70 or so different other people to learn how to do it and then sent them out into all parts of the known world of that area. And if they weren't to teach other people, what would be the point that it only lasts for the length of their lifetime? So it was to pass through the different generations, cascade through the generations, through to our time and all the times in the future. And it is true that all nations all around the world do have a history of natural healing in their own methods. That's a known thing in all of those cultures. So it was made illegal in Britain because that was the influence of the church at that time. They thought anything outside of the church was, uh, well, really, it was their own power and money that would be at risk because they would want everybody to come to them. And so they demonized anything that wasn't of the church. So that's what caused that. But in 1954, the Witchcraft Act, as it was called, was uh, deleted in the UK. So now healing is legal. But in some countries, it still isn't. So we do have to check that it's legal before we give healing in other countries. Hmm. So that was the history there. But I think Jesus would be all for it having healing by given by anybody. Do you think that consciousness or intention play a role in the healing modalities? Most definitely. Most definitely. That's where the passion is, I think. The intention to bring healing to the person that's asked for it. And that, uh, that positive energy, when I'm attuning to the power of the universe, I'm attuning first to the power of the earth so i'm imagining roots into the earth drawing up all the wonderful energies from mother earth coming up through my body and showering out above my head and all around and then the other way from roots from my head growing out into the cosmos and drawing down all the fabulous energies from there and through my body and down and around so that i'm standing in a column of golden light and a cocoon of fabulous energy. It's just lovely. I'm smiling. My eyes are tingling. My hands are tingling just to think of it. But uh, feeling so joyful and appreciating everything and and uh, feeling energized and positive and passionate and then linking to the person that I'm giving healing to and imagining that is flowing into them now through their head, through their feet, through my hands. And uh, there was um, there's so many wonderful things that people say after a healing session that they cannot believe it. And uh, I've um, healed myself of things. Some people say you can't heal yourself and you can't heal your loved ones, but it's not true, totally not true. I had uh, the misfortune of having stabbing sensations in the abdomen that were so sharp and painful I would cry out with pain and double up even in the street even in a crowded place it was so embarrassing but painful and so I went to the doctor and uh, went through different uh, tests and what have you 
Uh, oh, no, I first of all had painkillers, very strong painkillers, didn't make a difference. But it wasn't a constant pain. It was now and again. But in the middle of the night, it could strike or in the middle of a shock. And painkillers made no difference. And then antibiotics made no difference. And then I was supposed to have a scan. And while I was waiting for the scan, in the middle of the night again, I had these stabbing pains start off again. And so rather than disturb my husband so much, I went off to the bathroom. And when I was in the bathroom, it occurred to me, why don't I do healing for myself? I never thought you think for other people straight away. But I didn't think for myself until that moment. So then I got straight on to doing healing. I didn't bother with the, you know, the wet, the method that we're trained that takes 20 minutes. I just went straight in to the area that was painful and did healing exactly there. And it disappeared. It disappeared. It, it just filtered out of the back of my body, just like a frequency just disappeared at the back of my body. And I gave thanks and appreciation and this wonderment, this astonished wonderment that I could now experience that so many patients had told me of that I now experienced for myself. It was amazing. And after a, a minute or two, a, a little shadow of that pain came back into my body from behind and so I got straight onto the healing again and it disappeared back out and I never had any of that since. So that was astonishing for me. Hmm. So, so so do you teach people now? No, I'm not a trained healer. No. I, I'm not I am a trained healer. I'm not a trained tutor. And uh, I think um I don't really want to teach it. And because the Healing Trust has a um, accredited tutors and you have to jump through a million hoops to become a tutor, I'm getting on a bit. And by the time I ever got through all of I don't want to earn a living anyway. <laughs> I'm quite happy, retired, and I'm quite happy just volunteering my time as a healer and uh, writing the book will bring more of that awareness to people for them to train to be healers. And you don't have to train to be a healer to give healing to strangers or the masses like I've done. Mm -hmm. Even if you only do part one and two of the Healer Trust, the Healing Trust courses or of Reiki one and two or whichever modality you choose, so long as you've learned to be safe in yourself, so you're not giving your own energy away, so that you're fully grounded and you're not picking up any sensations and symptoms from other people, then so long as you've trained the most important parts to do to be um, channeling healing, not giving your own away, um, then you can do healing for yourself, your loved ones, your friends. And the number of times that my friends or my family have said they don't believe a word of it, but when they've hit a terrible situation in their life they're on the phone to me saying can you send me some healing and it's wonderful to be able to have not just the healing but also all of the principles that underpin it come mm. to the fore and 
some pearl of wisdom gets delivered, said, I tell people something that puts their situation in perspective and helps them. And it has been such a humbling, wonderful experience, really, really has. But I, I really don't want to be tested for myself. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have a horrible situation myself to be tested. But I think that one was pretty awful, having the uh, the stabbing in my own body. That was awful. But uh, there are some really dreadful things that do occur to other people. And I'm so grateful that those haven't occurred to me. And the most wonderful thing uh, that we can do is feel grateful, feeling appreciation for everything and everybody. When I wake up in the morning, I'm feeling emotional just thinking of how grateful that I feel for everything in my life. There's so much that we can feel grateful for. And if you can't think what to be grateful for, you could look at uh, uh, Esther Hicks, Abraham Hicks. There are videos that she's done. Put them on your, on your headphones as a meditation to feel grateful for the, the passionate way that Esther Hicks puts it across. It's just a, 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 a skipping in the part appreciation of everything and to be appreciative really milking that appreciation of that person or of that glass of water no matter how simple it is to feel deep appreciation and think of all of the things that you're appreciating it for but we've got so many wonderful gifts the gift of this physical body this transport system that's being gifted to us and it's our closest friend it's our it's our closest friend for the whole of this physical life. It's the only one that's going to be with us from the start to the finish. <laughs> <laughs> and we are therefore most, um, it's most beneficial to have the greatest relationship with it. And so to appreciate it and to do everything you possibly can to make it the most healthy, the most joyful, because really the, the health comes from within. It's the, the health of the body is um, uh, just the last bit of all of the emotions and thoughts that are going on within. And so making our thoughts and emotions as powerful and positive as we possibly can, then that shines through to the physical body. And it does heal and become more and more perfect, in my view. <laughs> and even if it didn't, why not? For, even if it didn't, why not generate as much positive thoughts and emotions as possible anyway right. and enjoy every moment as it comes? I must say that when I went to go give that talk at the Houses of Parliament, I did feel fear rise a number of times. I have had in the past the most extreme public speaking issues. I have strung some sensible words together during our talk now, but that wasn't always the way. I wouldn't even be able to pick up a piece of paper and read easy English words off a piece of paper and speak them, read them out to a small group of friends. That paper would be shaking, I'd be shaking, the words would make no sense. And I'm really good at English. I would have no problem if I were relaxed. But mm -hmm. again, it was a deep fear. And I have worked on myself so much to be able 
to talk about healing because I know it is needful that people hear about this, to hear about the research, to hear about my book. So I've had to dissolve that fear. And what I found was really useful for combating that fear when it rose on uh, on the threshold of going to give this uh, talk at the Houses of Parliament was to, um, the night before, something occurred where I read a phrase that reminded me that fear is the same energy as exhilaration. So we need to concentrate on the exhilarating side of the coin. When you have two people on the same Big Dipper, if they're on that Big Dipper and one person is sitting next to the other, but the one thinks it's the worst thing ever and he's just going to die, it's the worst awful situation ever been in, but the other one thinks it's the most exciting thing he's ever done and laughing his head off as he goes round. So those two are having the same experience, but they greet it differently. They meet it differently. And so I had these sensations of fear come up and I thought to myself, gosh, this is exhilarating. Boy, this is exhilarating. And just to think of it in that way made me smile and it dissolved more and more of that fear pattern and made it more positive. And when I came to do that talk, I have to admit I did muck up a couple of times and I felt really nervous. But somebody in the audience who went to those particular meetings regularly, she said, bless her, that I fired up the audience. Well, you'd never know, really, but (laughs) it was. (laughs) But that was a lovely bit of feedback. And 50 people had come out of their homes or other committees or whatever they wherever they had come from to come to that talk. And there was only me giving that talk at that particular time. So that was amazing in itself. But nothing came of that. But as I gave possible reasons for that earlier, and maybe this is a new, a new day. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. So mm. before we wrap up this interview, where can my listeners find you? Um, my, my website is www. I've written it down somewhere. Healing in a hospital. UK. So that was www.healinginahospital, all one word, .uk. And uh, another thing people could do if they wanted, if they can't get to a healer, I did um, a recording of my own voice helping people to relax and have healing while they sleep. And so that's on my website. It can be downloaded. It does cost six pounds, which might be, I don't know, nine dollars, eight dollars and download that. But that money doesn't come to me. That money goes to support voluntary work of the Healing Trust. So that's um, guided meditation. And most people say they didn't hear it all the way through because they fell asleep. And my husband says he's not surprised because my talking does make people fall asleep, he says. <laughs> I think that's me. And <laughs> But it does work. And uh, one lady listened to that recording while she was doing the ironing and only to be able to hear what was on it before giving it to her teenager 
who wasn't sleeping. And she found that even though she wasn't using it in the way designed, she wasn't afraid of going to the dentist anymore after that. And Dr. Singh found that, uh, told me that one of his patients listened to that recording and she hadn't slept for three years since her husband died. And after listening to that tape just once, she was, she no longer had a problem sleeping. And another man was suffering with uh, motor neurone disease and he hadn't been able to sleep until listening to that CD. So I think it's worth a whirl for people to just have a listen if they want to. Yeah, definitely. What I'll do is I'll post a link to your website in notes to this episode. So I'm sure my listeners are going to be really curious and want to check it out. Maybe download the, uh, the audio file. And I'm sure they'll also be wanting to purchase your book as well. Oh, I do hope so. <laughs> it's uh, it's been a, a real pleasure to be able to talk to you about it. It's lovely of you to invite me on. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure having you. Thanks for being on. Yeah. And, and I can't believe how the time has gone by. <laughs> yep. Lovely. Really enjoyed myself. Thank you for listening to me. Thank and you. And thank you to all the listeners for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on for one second. I just have to play my outro. Listen to you.